0: Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more. This, out. this is going to be
1: crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm David Koska. Hi, this is Cal Newport, author of Deep Work. Today, this is Ryan Park. I'm Batman. This is Ivan Davies from my house. I'm Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. I'm Lucas Feet and Lucas Featon This is Tate Butcher, Cade Spider. This is the Mojo Radio Show. I'll be coming to see you Then we ask them the big
0: questions
1: Oh man, this is such a great question You've actually landed right on
2: the mark That's another
0: really good question It was great talking to some clever dudes
2: I've gone probably a little bit more in depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book I've
1: done like 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this
3: Oh, wow.
0: And sometimes we talk about darts.
3: There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favorite sport is darts. How athletic is that?
0: I think it's uh, interesting that it's your favorite, but I won't be judgmental. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's the only
3: sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest. The
1: Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously.
4: So you try throwing half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go. Uh, my friend. Okay. But we hope you will.
2: Welcome. I got my book to the Mojo Radio
4: Show. Hey everybody and welcome to the seventh season of the Mojo Radio Show. If you're a regular listener, welcome back on board the big red bus we've come to know as the Mojo Radio Show. If you are on the bus for the first time, what's the show all about? We just find interesting people that we think have their mojo working in some aspect of their life, in or out of work. We chat to them, extract their tips, their tools, their opinions on, well, what do they do and how do we apply that to our own world? And perhaps as importantly, how do we take that information to assist somebody else who we know, a friend or a partner or a family member who've lost their mojo? If you are into the show and you're liking what we do, let us know by dropping just a one-liner, just throw us a bone, a one-liner on iTunes. It helps us that the show, sadly, has no sponsors and no advertising. But that is your way of letting us know you're out there and it also helps spread the word about the show and we get to help more people get their mojo working in it is about you guys. The gang is all here on the bus, Robbo the Bus Driver. Uh, do you have a remarkable fact to kickstart this little shebang this week?
3: I've got a couple of little quick ones I thought was a bit fun. This time of the year, beginning of the new... Beginning of a new season, people are thinking about their bodies. I found a few remarkable facts about them. <laughs> this time
4: of the year, they're thinking about their bodies. Yeah, well,
3: people, okay, well, you know, people are losing weight this time of year. People are sort of, you know, New Year's resolution might be to drop a few pounds. So uh, I thought... So it's uh, a self...
4: It's a, what they call it, a self-reflective <laughs> remarkable fact.
3: Yeah, a little go. like that. Well, first one, th- I'll, I'll give you a couple because I found a great list. First one is scientists aren't exactly sure why we yawn, but they think it may as- help us regulate our body temperature. Go figure that. Uh, as you breathe, the most air is only going in and out of one nostril. Every few hours, the workload shifts to the other nostril. I, I never knew that. That's so cool. Did not know that. No, there you go. Two more. Two uh, the skin is the largest organ on your body and can actually make up 15% of your total body weight. So if you want to lose some weight, maybe cut off a few layers of skin. And the final one, I thought this, was, this pertains to me because, you know, I had to have my wisdom teeth removed when I was younger. Wisdom teeth serve no purpose. They're left over from hundreds of thousands of years ago as early humans' brains grew bigger it reduced space in the mouth, crowding out this third set of molars. So there you go. As I said, I had to have my wisdom teeth removed because they were overcrowding. So, you know, you do the math.
4: It's remarkable what you will find in the studio whilst you're playing with your navel. <laughs> which, rem- which,
3: funnily enough, has hairs that go in it to collect lint. That's another fact in that list.
4: There you go. Another remarkable fact. Well I've got I well, get this. Uh whilst you're on Body Reflecting and the end of last season and your last season celebrations, you love your Slurpees. Seven eleven have more than seventy thousand stores. Wow. In Australia. Imagine being this imagine being the CEO or the MD of, of a so how many stores have you got? Seventy thousand? Yeah, I might go visit them all. <laughs> And they open a new store every three and a half hours. Wow. So the amount of work we put into each individual show on the Mojo Radio Show, three 7-Elevens have opened. It's just, I can't get my head around that. That's crazy, isn't it? That's so, what did you say? One every three and a half hours. Yeah. So they get 70,000 worldwide and one opens wow. every three and a half hours. Wow. So, if we put 10 hours into a show, which we do, plus, mm-hmm. in that time, three stores have opened and it happens every week. It's just insane. Wow. How do they find that many Arpoos? How do they find that much? Imagine, imagine how much Slurpee, Slurpee is mix. going out the doors yeah. daily of 70,000 stores. So, one Slurpee post is 70,000. Okay. If you sell, uh, I don't know, 50 a day,
3: yeah. do the math. Think about this. Not just Slurpees, how much sugar? Is that going out the door every day? There you go, our sponsorship for 7-Eleven. <laughs> All right, everybody. This is Jason Overcome Redman. I may have survived an al-Qaeda ambush in Iraq, but it was even harder
1: to survive the Mojo Radio Show.
4: All right. Our guest this week has written 37 books. And The Artist's Way, one of the books that she wrote some time ago, has sold more than four million copies across the world. The author's name is Julia Cameron, an American teacher, author, artist, poet, playwright, novelist, filmmaker, composer, and journalist. Julia has written many other non-fictional works, short stories, essays, novels, plays, musicals, screenplays, her morning pages, which is a process to kind of unlock your own, I guess, creative spirit and get rid of particularly mental blocks. This is something that I've heard mentioned a lot by people, including Tim Ferriss. He talks about it repeatedly. And it's something I want to talk to Julia about during the show, because Morning Pages, how does it work? What's it all about? So having said all that, It's a great honour. Julia, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you. Good to be here. Julia, when somebody meets you today and they're not familiar with your background and your work, but they ask you what you do, how do you like to reply?
0: Well, I usually tell people I'm a writer. Uh, And then uh, I pause a beat and I say, and a teacher. And then they say, oh what do you teach? And I say, creativity. And they say, well, you can teach creativity? And I say, well, I can teach people to let themselves be creative.
4: In order to do that, Julia, people have to let go of a lot of myths that we carry around creativity. What, what are you still seeing today after all the work you've done in helping people with their creative spirit, what are the greatest myths we still carry in our soul about creativity?
0: I think uh, that we have a myth that tells us that there are only a few people who are truly creative. Uh, And so when we try to uh, think about being creative ourselves, we find ourselves wondering, oh, is this just my ego? So I think uh, the first thing we need to do is tell people we are all creative Uh, and they may come back with a little bit of disbelief and say, you really believe that? And I say, well, I've been teaching 40 years and I do believe it.
4: For people to truly believe it, Julia, one would think they have to discover it probably within themselves. How do we we go about Unlocking that true creative spirit beyond the perceived barriers we have in our own mind for it. How how do we how do we prove to ourselves that creativity actually exists?
0: Well, now you're bringing up a tool, uh, and uh, I think uh, that I want to put in a plug here for Morning Pages, which are three pages of longhand morning writing about absolutely anything. Uh, And what happens when people do morning pages is that they begin to become enchanted with themselves. They start off saying, oh, Julia, my life is so boring. Uh, And after about three weeks, they go, oh, my God, my life is so interesting. Uh, So I think the first tool uh, to unlocking creativity is to do morning pages with an open mind.
4: What's curious about this is that a couple of years ago on our show, we interviewed John Karabi, who is now the lead singer of The Dead Daisies based in Nashville, Tennessee. But he used to be the lead singer for Botley Crew. When I spoke to John about creativity... One of the things he raised as an important ingredient for him as a songwriter and, as, a, I guess, as a, a rock poet, he said was Morning Pages, pointed back to your book, The Artist's Way, and credited you. Just for those people who now have heard it a few times but may not be familiar with it, just how would you how would you sum up or explain in the most simplistic way how somebody can finish this podcast and start to... Work with morning pages.
0: Well, I think the first thing you say is, "Now I have a tool for you, and it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to you're going to have to get up forty five minutes early uh, and take yourself directly to the page despite your resistance. Uh, and you write about anything and everything. It's like you take a little teeny whisk broom to the corners of your consciousness, and you sweep all the debris into the middle of the room where you can look at it. Uh, and the um, most of us go through our days with a, a negative soundtrack. Uh, And when we put it on the page in the morning, it frees us to be creative during the day.
4: What a beautiful saying to take a tiny whisk broom to the corners of our consciousness. Something I've heard you talk about, Julie, is you said there's no wrong way to do morning pages. And I suspect many of us get up 45 minutes, look at that blank piece of paper and don't start because we're worried about not doing it properly or I don't know what to write. Tell me that the, the, the mindset we need to have looking at a blank page to get us over that hurdle.
0: Well, I think, uh, you know, when I tell people there's no wrong way to do it, uh, I say to them, you might want to say to the page, oh, dear God, I'm grumpy. <laughs> uh, and... If you complain bitterly to the page, uh, it, give, it sort of ventilates your um, your feelings for the day. So uh, people worry that they want to sound perky, cheerful, happy, productive, uh, and none of those things are necessary. Uh, and I think that it's a it's a myth that we have that artists are always brave uh and i think once you say now it's all right to be afraid it's all right to feel stupid uh it's all right to feel um blocked just keep writing i feel blocked
4: if we get down to the tools julia I've heard you talk about the fact that write three pages. Why is three the magic number?
0: Three is the magic number because I found out when I first started doing them that three was the number I felt comfortable with. And then as I started teaching them, I realized that it took three pages for us to sort of get down to what I want to call brass tacks. First page and a half are pretty simple. Uh, And then you hit a wall. And the wall says, I have nothing further to say. Uh, and what you do with that wall is you ignore it and you write, I have nothing further to say. I have nothing further to say until it provokes you into saying something. Uh, and what I have found is that if you do less than three pages, you you don't get down to your issues if you do more than three pages, you become a narcissist.
4: <laughs> and that sticking point, you have commented that it seems to be at about a page and a half, it gets sticky. And yet beyond that is where you start to get past these blocks. What, what approach do you take for people at that, at that, that page and a half Is it a matter of, I'm at a page and a half, I'm now stuck, and just to keep writing that down to order to get through that block? Yes,
0: I think that's the best thing to do.
4: I've heard Tim Ferriss talk about this on his podcast. He's a guy who breaks down performance in every way to find the the quickest access to get better at something or to unlock one's potential in in the most time-effective way. Yet he, he speaks really highly of Morning Pages and your book, The Artist's Way. What results have you seen, Julia? You've been doing this now. That book's been out 30-odd years. What With people doing this, give us a sense that there's a reason to believe this works beyond Julia Cameron saying it. What, what results have you seen with people?
0: Well, I think uh, that morning pages perform something that I would call spiritual chiropractic. Uh, And that is uh, if you're sort of uh, a milk toast and you're shy, they provoke you into being more outspoken. But if you're sort of a blowhard and you're too outspoken, they provoke you into holding your own counsel. Uh, And, they seem to adjust people in just the ways they need to be adjusted. They're very uncanny that way. Uh, And I think uh, that they train us to take risks, Gary. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you write your morning pages and they'll bring up a risk. Uh, And you'll initially say, oh, I can't do that. And then you'll keep writing, and then a couple of days later, they'll bring the risk up again, and you'll say, well, maybe I could try that. Uh, and then they bring it up a third time, and you're going, oh, all right, shush up. I'll try it. <laughs> and, and you take your risk. Uh, and so they train us to expansion and uh, Nelson Mandela said something interesting he said we're not afraid of being little we're afraid of being big and i think morning pages train us to be big
4: how how have you stepped past that creative critic julia because you've been so, so the, the amount of of uh, the amount of creativity you've put into the world through writing in all different forms how how has Julia Cameron stepped past your own creative critic?
0: Well, I call him Nigel. Uh and I've I've had Nigel as a companion ever since I first started writing. Uh and Nigel will always say, Oh, Julia, you're boring or or Julia, this has been done before or Julia, nobody will be interested in this. Uh, And Nigel keeps up a sort of negative diatribe. But because morning pages cannot be done wrong, what happens is you try to write your morning pages and your inner critic or your Nigel will protest. Uh, And you'll say, thank you for sharing, Nigel, but there's no wrong way to do these. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you keep on writing. And what happens uh, is that you're actually training your Nigel that you are able to step past him. Uh, and I people sometimes say, oh, Julia, I wish we could get rid of our critic. Uh, and I agree with them. I wish we could, but it doesn't seem like we can. It, mm. it seems like The smarter we get, the smarter the critic gets. If you do one book, they'll say, well, you just had one book. Your critic uh, keeps pace with you as a creative. Uh, And so it's very important that you do the morning pages and you train it to stand aside. And that becomes a portable skill, uh, training the critic to stand aside. Allows you to, s- to step forward as an improv comic, uh, as a singer, as a dancer. Uh, it's a portable skill. You say, mm. thank you for sharing, and you keep right on going. This
4: is a really interesting conversation about Nigel, Julia, because we interviewed a guy called Todd Herman who wrote The Alter Ego Effect, And he talked about creating an alter ego, which is a positive, either be an animal or a person or a character we step into to help us get beyond perceived barriers. But then he also talked about how we can create an alter ego that we can confront that may be creating these barriers. And I know you talked about writing the book in 2010, The Creative Life, and you talked about Nigel, who was that voice saying Julia can you see Nigel like when you think of Nigel right now do you have an image of what Nigel looks like or is about what comes to mind when you think of Nigel
0: I do my my Nigel is a gay in british interior decorator <laughs> <laughs> but people's Nigels are individual uh, sometimes uh, a teacher uh, will have installed your Nigel. Uh, and so then when you, when your Nigel pops up, you hear Sister Mary Ann Rita telling you you can't spell.
4: What is your relationship to Nigel today? You have been prolific in your writing creativity for many years, decades. When, as we sit here today on this call, what's your relationship to Nigel? Has it changed much in the last three, five years or decade?
0: Well, as I said, Nigel keeps getting smarter. Uh, and I have learned that Nigel is the most destructive when you are being your most creative. Uh, as, it's as if um, Nigel is in charge of keeping you safe, so Nigel likes sentences that it's been heard before. Uh, Nigel wants to go over tried and true material. Uh, and if you have an original sentence, like a, a zebra of a sentence, Nigel doesn't say, far out, stripes. <laughs> Nigel <laughs> says, oh, stripes. Who ever heard of stripes? and uh, it attacks your originality. Uh, And uh, I recently wrote a book that uh, Nigel uh, drove me crazy. Uh, It's a book that's gonna come out in about a year called The Listening Path. Uh, And as I was writing it, I wrote it out longhand uh, and as I was writing it, Nigel would attack me. Uh, and uh, so when I finished the book, uh, I I had learned to back Nigel down a day at a time. Uh, but he was still very destructive to me. So when I turned the book into my editor, Joel Fotino's, uh, I said to him, well, here's the new book, but I'm not sure it's any good. <laughs> <laughs> and Joel, Joel, who has been working with me for 23 years, said, Julia, I think you've been listening to Nigel. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Julia, there is a, a parent listening to the show somewhere in the world right now whose little boy or little girl has got that creative critic. They're not aware of Nigel. They've got their own version. How, how do you help a, a parent, a partner with a child to, to navigate their own Nigel? How do, you, how do you advise we go about raising a prince or princess of possibility? who can get beyond the Nigels as they grow through their life and their career?
0: Well, I wrote a whole book called The Artist's Way for Parents, uh, and it was aimed at exactly what you're talking about, Gary, um, the idea uh, that children start out creative but then become intimidated. Uh, and uh, I think for years did not write this book because I felt like if you worked the artist's way, your example would be enough to help your child. Uh, and I do think that's very true. Uh, I have uh, I have a granddaughter uh, who has just started to play the piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, she's exuberant about it. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you have a show in Australia called The Addams Family.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's been around for a while. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, she learned to pick out da 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 yeah. da 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 yeah. da 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 yeah. da 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 that's wonderful. Congratulations. You found the theme. Uh, and I think uh, that positive reinforcement uh, and a sense of play is very important. Uh, I I believe uh, that if the parent models playing, it will teach the child to play. Uh, and Encouragement is critical, and I think that's about all I have to say about that.
4: <laughs> it, 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 now, if we, if we just stay with kids for a second, something you wrote in a blog, you mentioned a quote from Picasso who said, every child is born an artist. The trick is remaining one as an adult. And then you went on to say passion, commitment, and most of all, the courage to be a beginner, are the qualities it takes and the qualities that are well within our grasp. Tell me about a parent having the courage to go back to being a beginner.
0: Well, I think it it comes down to modelling things that you don't necessarily do well, Gary. Uh, Let's say uh, sketching. Uh, Let's say singing. Let's say something uh, that you say to your child, well, I wish I could do this better, but I'm doing it well enough. And it's the idea of well enough that is contagious. I think sharing stories is important. Uh, you know, telling the story of that when you were little, You were told that you had to color between the lines uh, and that that put a damper on your creativity since you felt that you wanted to color outside the lines. And so you say to your child, you can color whichever way you want.
4: There was something you said recently in an interview which I, I thought was so powerful to get rid of these blocks, Julia. You said we should ask ourselves am I willing to write a bad book? And there are so many people who've got this gold inside them, whether they be in some sort of media, presentations, their art for themselves. They've got this richness of creativity, yet we don't want to do it because we don't think it'd be perfect to impress others. But I just just love the notion of saying, well, if you've got the courage to write a bad book, that, that must be a way of almost unlocking to potential by saying, well, it don't really matter how good or bad it is. I'm just going to do it. Was that the intention when you said to ask ourselves, am I willing to write a bad book?
0: Yes, it was the intention. Um, I think uh, a lot of times people want to create art, but they want it to be perfect. Uh, and they measure their beginning art against the the later art of master artists, uh, so for example uh, George Lucas directed Star Wars and we think oh I couldn't do Star Wars but we don't know that uh, when George Lucas did his first film uh, I, and I've seen it you wanted to say oh George try accounting <laughs>
4: <laughs> there's a there's a quote for the studio wall if if we continue that conversation, Julia, what people may not know is that back in your in your 20s, you married another, another iconic director in Martin Scorsese. When when you look back at that time of your life, you're living in a house with a guy who's widely regarded today as one of the most significant and influential filmmakers in cinematic history. Back at that time, Could you see it in Martin? Was there an attribute or a characteristic of this man that you had committed your life to? Could you see it back there as something that you knew he had that over time would change how we look at cinema?
0: Well, I was a devoted wife. (laughs) And I think I thought thought Martin is a genius. Uh, And I probably thought Martin was a genius years before other people thought he was a genius. Uh, and I, um, I noticed that when he talked to actors, he was always very kind. Uh, and this is something which came, you know, when, when you read about his later work, actors always say, I love to work with Martin. Uh, and what they're talking about, I think is his gentleness um, I had an opportunity. Uh, now, this is going to be bad mouthing someone. Uh, I was on I was on set with Francis Coppola, and he was um, directing his actors over a loudspeaker, and it was sort of the opposite of the way Marty worked. Uh, and I found myself thinking, oh, Francis, this is why you made one wonderful movie. Uh, and then the rest, uh, has been downhill. So I, I probably shouldn't say this, uh, but I believe that it was Martin's gentleness, uh, and his humor, he was, uh, people don't talk about him being funny. Uh, you know, they, they think of his mobster movies, and they go, those are scary, those aren't funny. But in person, he's very funny. Uh, and I think that the humor relaxed the actors. And this is enough about something that's 40 years ago. No, but it's
4: interesting. There's something you said before about how we hold these people up, but we don't see what goes on behind the curtain. And just, just one last thing on this is you said that if you go back to uh, Martin's early career, you went to the opening night, a taxi driver with him, which is an iconic movie for all of us. And you sat there at the back of the cinema on opening night and he was hyperventilating. And my, my question yes. is that during that time, Julia, did he ever come to grips with that or is that just an innate thing that we all go through? Regardless of how successful we have that thing in us, did he ever come to handle that or was it just something that a lot of us have and we should know that we're all
0: human? I think that's the point. I think we have a mythology that tells us that great artists are not fearful. Uh, And my own experience, uh, I, you know, I was very lucky uh, being married to Marty and knowing Steve Spielberg and Coppola and Truffaut uh, and, uh, you know, many of the great artists of our time, uh, I had the chance to observe that it wasn't that they weren't fearful, it was that they had learned to walk through the fear uh, and uh, I I remember uh, Marty had gone to France and he left me, we were engaged, uh, and he left me in the custody of Brian De Palma uh, and Steven Spielberg. And we were all in the hotel room eating bad pizza uh, and uh, the... Um, uh, Spielberg said to De Palma, "I I want to make a movie about extraterrestrials, but I can't get anybody interested in it, and I think I should give up." And De Palma, who is like the godfather to these men, uh, said to him, "Steven, when you talk about extraterrestrials, you light up." You can't afford to look away from that. That's a clue. Uh, so you need to keep trying. So even though he was afraid to keep trying, he kept trying. You know, and as a result we have E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Julia,
4: who who is little Julia?
0: Well, uh, little Julia is how I think of myself. Uh, and I... I often pray, uh, I believe that God is the great creator, uh, and that uh, the creator is interested in our own creativity, and so I will say, LJ for little Julie, can I hear about X? Uh, and then I'll ask about something that I have a question about. Uh, and then I will listen. Uh, And what I have found is that this is a very potent form of prayer, praying on the page. That if we pray on the page, can I hear from X? And then we listen and write down what we hear. We often are given uh, profound guidance. It's often simple and direct, Uh, and goes right to the core of
4: an issue. Can I just take a little off-ramp here for a second? You just mentioned our creator. You, You have said that creativity and spirituality in your mind are one and the same.
0: Yes.
4: If James Lipton runs a studio in New York, very successful television or a documentary series, I guess, called Inside the Actor's Studio, where he talks to living legends like the people you've mentioned on this show and or living actors, producers, directors, actors. The last question he asks of his guests in front of a studio audience is this, he says if heaven exists what would you like God to say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Based on your beliefs, your writing, your spirit, when you arrive at the pearly gates, what would you like God to say to you?
0: Well, it's Interesting, this is sort of a fantasy of mine that I die, I get to the pearly gates uh, and St. Peter's there with his big questionnaire and he <laughs> looks at me and he says, what should, what should you do? What have you done in your life that should convince us to let you in? And I say, I convinced people to write.
4: And the gates swing open. Wow, that's beautiful. You you live in Santa Fe, and this this may be on the spiritual line, the spiritual off ramp or not, I don't know. You live in Santa Fe. Santa Fe is a very spiritual place and and steeped in Native American history and tradition. When you talk about counting coup, which is a Sioux Indian saying for basically taking rewards when they were at war. What's Counting Coup for Julia?
0: Well, right now uh, I would say it's that I'm writing a new book. I'm on page 16, (laughs) so I have 184 pages to go. (laughs) But Counting Coup is saying, oh, I'm already on page 16, bravo. So it's looking at the positive, uh, and um, I, I teach often, and I travel to teach, uh, and I have found uh, that the creativity tools translate internationally, uh, that we seem to be speaking to a basic human desire. Uh, and counting poo is saying oh I'm teaching in London and by God they get it
4: Is it a form of gratitude?
0: Yes I think gratitude is pivotal Uh, I think uh, this is again where we go back to morning pages and we say I may not have done anything else right today but I did do my pages Mm. and uh another tool which I think is important to mention is an artist's date, which is taking yourself out once a week for little Julie uh, to have something enjoyable.
4: A couple of things, I'm very conscious of your time. A couple of things which is a tool that you discuss is called imagine, the Imaginary Lives Exercise, Mm-hmm. What's the thing, How do we do that? What's the thinking behind it?
0: Well, a lot of times people feel trapped, and so when you say to them playfully, "Now, number from one to five, and give me five imaginary lives, lives it would be fun to have." So this is not where you mention Mother Teresa. Uh, this is where you say, "Oh." <clears throat> I think it would be fun to be a cowgirl. Oh, I think it would be fun to be a psychic. Oh, I think it would be fun to be a torch singer. And you you list five imaginary lives. And then you say to people, now, take one tiny action in the life you've actually got in the direction of your imaginary lives uh and so if you have cowgirl maybe your your imaginary action would be okay I'll pet a horse <laughs> uh and uh what happens is that people begin to realize that they have the the freedom to act in the direction of their dreams and a lot of times when people come to study with me uh they come in <clears throat> prepared to quote work on their creativity and then they find out that the whole workshop is playful. And this is because we have an expression, the play of ideas. But we don't realize that that's a prescription for getting ideas, is to allow yourself to play. So this is why the artist's date is so pivotal. Morning pages and once a week doing something fun. Something
4: else that's important to you is walking, isn't it? And and what's ironic when I hear you talk about it and I see you write about it, when you look back to some of the people who've changed history, whether it be Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, both prolific walkers, had all their important meetings walking. The Romans used to walk. Michelangelo was described as a ceaseless wanderer. Walking is an important tool as part of the creative spirit, isn't it?
0: Yes, and this is where I... I feel like I've learned something. When I wrote The Artist's Way, I said there were two basic tools, uh, morning pages and artist dates. And then when I got to week 12, the very last week of the course, I said, P.S., exercise. And now I've been teaching 40 years, uh, and I recognize that exercising is actually exercising our imagination. So I now say there are three tools, morning pages, art estates, and walks.
4: You mentioned just a minute ago about horses, and I know horses are special to you. What What is the relationship you have with horses? What do they bring you? What do they give you? How do you feel around a horse?
0: I feel comfortable. And I feel free. Uh, And I'm uh, sitting in a little study in my house. uh, And on the wall, I have a picture of a white rearing mare. And uh, every time I uh, go to walk on the... I have a treadmill. I walk outside with my dog uh, on dirt roads uh, in the mountains. But at night, I walk on a treadmill, and when I walk on the treadmill, I look at the picture of the white rearing horse, and I think, keep walking, dear. Sometimes
4: it's hard. I think sometimes people find it hard to keep walking, Julia, when they are creating, and by choice or not, they put work into the world, and others... Will critique it when, with the work you've put out in the entertainment industry, in the publishing of books industry. When you get a bad review, do you do you see it? Do you care? What's your inner dialogue when someone doesn't resonate with your work?
0: Well, <clears throat> I wrote a novel, and I got nineteen good reviews. Uh, and one bad review. <laughs> and the bad review, unfortunately, was in the New York Times. Uh, and I did something then which I recommend doing whenever you are faced with criticism, and that is using humor uh, uh, and so i wrote a little poem addressed to the man who reviewed my book uh, <laughs> and it went this little poem goes off to bill kent who must feel awful the way that he spent his time reviewing carl jung instead of on the work i'd done uh, and it means Immediately, I had a sense of power and grace again. Uh, So I tell people, use humor. Write bad poetry. Write at the people who are criticizing you. Uh, Because I find the minute you use humor, you're free to create again.
4: You just mentioned poetry, and there's a load of poetry on your website, which we'll talk about in a second. I just want to read you something. And tell me and I just want you to tell me your thoughts, your mindset, your what what you were feeling at the time when you wrote this. It says, it is a simple thing. I noticed the small things, the spider creeping beneath the door, the leaf that takes the air, the silver hair burning at your temple. It is a simple thing. The moments pass and we pass with them. Tell me why, knowing we all die. We cannot bear to hear you catch your breath. Tell me, tell me, what's what's behind that in your mind?
0: I was in love with a man that you may know, uh, named Tim Weeder. Uh, he's a wonderful composer. He's British. He's a composer and he's a, a classical flute player. Uh, and he used to spend a third of his year in Australia. Uh, and um uh, so i was in love with tim uh and uh, unfortunately tim was not in love with me <laughs> uh and i uh i was ac- acutely aware of his mortality uh and i I think that that happens when you when you fall in love uh you you find yourself thinking uh i I don't want to say dark thoughts uh but you become a little bit haunted by the prospect that your beloved will in fact one day die so that little
4: poem goes out to Tim Weeder. <laughs> wow, what a beautiful story. Do you, I've got a copy of The Artist's Way in front of me right now and it's dog-eared, it's faded, it's, I mean, it must be 30 years old, I think, Julia, since I had this book. And I've go through it as when I wrote to you, I think each year I read it. With all that you have done with almost 40 books, movies, the whole thing, do you remember the actual moment where you said to yourself, I can actually do this? Like I'm, I can actually, I, I believe in myself. I'm good at this. I can do this. Was there ever a moment where there was a catalytic moment where you went, yeah, I, I can do this?
0: Well, I started writing full-time when I was 18. Uh, and I was attending Georgetown University, which was a Jesuit university. Uh, and... I wanted. Uh, I had gone there as an Italian major, uh, but I wanted to transfer over to English because I wanted to be a writer. Uh, and uh, I was told, you'll be a wife, not a writer. Uh, and I thought at that moment, I am a writer.
4: Did the believing mirror come about around the same time, Julia? Or is that something that you have come to use, believe and share later in your career? Where did that fit into this moment?
0: Uh, I would actually say it came later. Uh, I, I found myself uh, in my 20s uh, with a job at the Washington Post sorting their mail And one day, the uh, editor-in-chief passed my desk, and he said, Julia, you look depressed. Uh, And I said, well, I just typed tomorrow's articles, and they're bad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And he said, well, if you think you can do better. (laughs) And he went out uh, to dinner. Uh, and when he came back, I had written my first article, uh, and he read it, and he said, "Oh, it would see my o u n an apology uh, and that was the beginning of a, a wonderful relationship with him, where he believed in me and believed in my writing and gave me assignments to do uh, that would normally normally go to veteran reporters.
4: Just to wrap this up, Julia, on the front page of your website, there is a quote that says, many block people are actually very powerful and creative personalities who have been made to feel guilty about their own strengths and gifts, which reiterates the stories you've just told. Many people are actually very powerful and creative personalities, yet they've been made to feel guilty about their own strengths and gifts. What would you say that, to, to, to summarize this interview how would what would you say to those people who go, "Gee, I've heard Julia talk. They can see themselves in you in different aspects of your career arc. Based on that, what would you say to them?
0: Well, I would tell them you're more powerful than you know. Uh, and the way for you to discover your power is through morning pages and art dates. Uh, and when you begin to believe that maybe you could try something, I would urge you to try it. Uh, and one of the things that sometimes is said to me is, Julia, aren't you afraid you're unblocking an awful lot of bad art? <laughs> Uh, uh, and what I tell them back is that actually I have the exact opposite experience Uh, Mm. I will unblock someone uh, and they'll do a piece of writing and I'll read it and I'll think how could they have not known how gifted they are so I, I think I'm unblocking a lot of people who were gifted artists but never had the proper mirroring to know how gifted they are.
4: Julia, when you look back through your career thus far, and there's plenty to come yet, are you the person who carries regrets? Is is the word regret a part of your vocabulary?
0: Um, That's a good question. Uh, I practice acceptance, uh, and right now uh, I have two plays that are out Uh, looking for theaters Uh, and I have uh, one of them was welcomed by a tiny little theater that was two hours west of Seattle by ferry boat Uh, (laughs) and they wanted to do my play but I didn't want to take the two-hour ferry ride in February Uh, And I told them with regret, I'm sorry, but this is not an opportunity I can take. So I think um, I I also uh, directed a feature film, uh, and then what happened is I I made the feature film, and right after that, The Artist's Way took off. Uh, And began to become a mega seller. Uh, And so what happened is that I stopped directing movies. Uh, And I often feel like, oh, that's a career I missed. But I I went where I was guided.
4: Julia, this has been just the most wonderful experience, being able to speak with you. I've been a fan for decades. And it's, it's curious how often your name comes up in our show and other people's shows when creation of ideas, innovation, expressing oneself, thinking differently, how it comes up. It's been a true delight and a true privilege spending time with you in your, in your schedule and we appreciate you making time for us. People who will want to follow up, get a hold of the book, check out your work, look at your poetry. Where is the best hub for people to find out more about Julia?
0: I have a website, which is juliacameronlive.com, and that has uh, my music on there, my poetry on there, descriptions of the books, uh, some interviews, uh, and uh, I think it's a very good, if not intimidating place to start.
4: (laughs) Can ask you just one last question, Julia, which just came to me and this may or may not be relevant. When I I interviewed on the show a lot long ago, Susie Quattro, the iconic rock idol for 40 odd years, I said to her, she has an alter ego, which is little Susie from Detroit. So there's little Susie from Detroit and there's Susie Quattro. Susie Quattro steps on stage, Susie growing up, the girl away from stage is little Susie from Detroit. And I said, who am I speaking to right now? She said, what do you want to talk about? So based on what you're going to talk about, she would step into those alter egos. At any time during this interview, did I ever speak to little Julie? Did I ever speak to Nigel or was Julia always on the line?
0: We talk about our inner children uh, and our inner children, are creative. Uh, and we think of that, and that's where little Julie comes from. But I also think that in order to husband our creativity, we need to be in touch with our inner adult. Uh, and our inner adult helps our inner child. So it's uh, there's at least two personalities functioning at all times.
4: Did Nigel knock on your door during this interview?
0: Well, yes, yes. Uh, when I, when I told the story about Francis Ford Coppola uh, <laughs> and Nigel said, oh, Julia, naughty Julia shouldn't be telling that story.
4: Well, we're glad you did. As I said, this has been just, I've been so looking forward to it. Ever since I got the note back from Emma saying you were, you were happy to put us into your calendar, It's been, I've been looking forward to it. Thank you so much for your time and I hope that if you ever make your way down under with a theatre production, a movie script or a speaking or writing to it, you will look us up because we'd love to spend some time with you.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. This has been an interesting and fun conversation. I've enjoyed spending time with you.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, if you are just tuning in, we are going to kick ass. Supreme, the Mojo Radio Show. Being 50 years
3: old, both my grandmothers died many years ago, unfortunately. But do you reckon if I asked really nicely, she'd adopt me as hers, her grandson? What a lovely, lovely, Uh, intelligent lady.
4: Honestly, we were very respectful of her time. We went over time. She was very, very gracious with her time. Man, that, that, that interview could have gone for a week and I would not have been. There was so much more I wanted to ask her about. Such a fascinating lady, successful, ups, downs, alter egos, Martin Scorsese. I mean, some of the stories she told, I've never heard that shared anywhere in Julia's world.
2: The Mojo Radio Show.
4: Now, speaking of 50 years, I went to see a rock gig last week with a man who's been touring on the road for 51 years and is about to hang up his, what do they call them? um, Hang up his piano. About to hang up his sequins. (laughs) Or his sunglasses. The artist? Elton John. Played in central Australia for 20,000 people on a football field. I kid you not, it was a local football field. They had this tiny little grandstand, which was a VIP area, which I only saw from the distance. I sat on the hill of this football field and sat there and went, I'm in the middle of farming territory, bushfire territory, watching Elton John. It was just, honestly, it was an amazing experience. But here's the lesson of rock. Michael Chug, who was a promoter, sent out all the details of, here's what's going to happen, as well as a schedule of what will happen. Elton walked out on the stage to the minute of what he promised, he played for 2 hours 45 and left as he walked out the back of the stage, and I won't give it away for anybody who's about to go and see this final show that he's doing, a 170 of a (laughs) three-year finale, he walked out to the minute of 2 hours and 45. Yeah, (laughs) nice. It was insane after all this time, 51 years of touring. Everything was methodical with detail. The timing, the support acts going on, to the minute they finished, changeovers, the band, the setup, the crew, the visuals, the sound was incredible, the band, the entry. Everything was so well done by Elton and the promoter, a friend of ours, Michael Chug. However, the lesson of rock, it lacked one thing. There was one obvious thing missing from the show, and I actually believe this has held Elton back for 51 years. Do you know what it is? (laughs) Uh,
3: No, but I'm also not sure that Elton John's been held back for 50 years either, so I'm not sure where
4: you're going. (laughs) No, this is fascinating. I'm sitting there halfway through the show, and, of course, he just played the back catalogue. It was just insane in a footy field in the middle of nowhere. This is Elton John. He's played Madison Square Garden. He's played Wembley. He's played... Everywhere. The most (laughs) iconic funerals in the world, the most iconic wedding. I mean, this guy's done it all. Mm Mm-hmm. And I went, it's obvious. Okay. And I'm thinking, you know what I want from this gig? <laughs> I want some more cowbell. <laughs> that's what I want. I want some more cowbell. I got a fever. And the only cure is a uh, cowbell.
3: I don't think there is an Elton John with cowbell in it either. No. On
4: contraire. On mm, contraire. Oh, so I went really? in and
3: did my research. Because that's what Ashio's show all about.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, researching the well, big th- issues. That's the, that's the bluff we put over people and guests. Elton John does have a song with Cowbell. It's a song off the album called Madman Across the Water. Mm. That drummer that played Cowbell Mm. has been with Elton from day one One. and was on this football field last week. No,
3: and I can't think of his name. I knew you were going to go there.
4: Uh, Nigel Olsen is his name. And he smiled the whole gig. All he did was look around the stage and smile. <laughs> well, wouldn't in you? 10, 51 years, 53 years with Elton. I just, honestly, there was so much to love about this show, but I was surprised there's a cowbell in it. But do you know the other track, and I, I, I can't confirm this, but I did find evidence online, but I haven't been able to hear it in the actual track, is apparently Goodbye Yellow Brick Road actually has a cowbell in it. no. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Unsubstantiated, but you will find evidence. Lola, online. Lola, can you roll
3: the chorus of Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, please? If there was Cowbell on there, the only thing I can think that in the recording studio when they're laying down a song, they put down a count in, which is just like a one, two, three, four. So I can imagine maybe the only thing that might have happened is maybe maybe Nigel put down duck, 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 as the count in and they've included that in the credits, perhaps.
4: Don't know. <laughs> However... I thought I'd found a weakness in Elton's strength, in the sequence strength, but <laughs> <laughs> on contraire, uh, it is, there is, he has oh. got a track. And that, that if you go to see him live, and I, I say it's an incredible show and a great tribute to an amazing band and an amazing man. Yes,
3: who also donated $1 million to the Bushfire Appeal too, live on stage a couple of weeks ago. So even more kudos to the big man.
4: And it's really funny how old the crowd was and how fewer kids were there but i we took some yeah, kids right. along who were 14 years old who are, who were into their music and i just think it's such a wonderful thing for the kids to see it even though they won't know a lot of the tracks to see a man like that and then what i heard from the kids that i took along is that when they start to hear what he's done and he plays a particular song which has got like a a montage of all the things he's done in his career all the places he's been places he's met and the people he's helped, mm.
3: uh
4: it was really something for the younger generation. So I, I hats off to him, or sequins off to him. St- uh, love Elton. I heard farmers going, "Love you, Elton." Anyway, uh, <laughs> just, just. just
3: <laughs> hey, just just while we're on on the music thing, a a bit of a a bit of a scuttlebutt, but I, from what I understand is is true. Uh, we're about a month away from a brand new ACDC album, and even bigger. The original lineup, except for unfortunately the two who've passed away, the original lineup are touring in November. How cool is that? Who's singing? Brian Johnson. They've come up with some special earphones that he can wear, uh, apparently, so uh, that will protect his hearing
4: while he's on stage. So there aren't many artists where you could play this single note and know what you're in for. Lola, play that note. Play that song b -b -b benny and the Jets
3: We're up. Little known fact, Robbo did backing vocals. (laughs)
2: The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo radio show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoo sound.com.au. For more about Gary, see GaryBertWhistle.com, and to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.